0: Yeah, can none of y'all mirror me back. Yeah, hand yeah. yeah. me rappers like Hand G. rapping is prime. I'm um, Young HO. Raps grateful dead. Matter take over the globe. Now break bread. Ladies
1: and gentlemen, welcome back to Miami Nice. I am one half of your crazy undercover and potentially drunk, blackout drunk, that is, team of co-hosts for this podcast. Uh, I am Blake Howard. Hello. Uh, my co-host, the amazing film critic. I mean, just toiling with week on week releases. <is laughs> I <Kelly>. am toiling. <laughs> Kelly Walsh, welcome back. to the, Welcome back. We're just like, we're firing these out. It's so good that we're back together so many times on this. Take, Let's it, take to- it to the limit one more time. That's it. Um, we we now have a guest. Uh, so we've we've been talking to uh, some of our great film critic friends, uh, around the place who have been celebrating Miami Vice's 15th anniversary in a bunch of different publications online, and we're hoping you really enjoyed that. We've also now talking to a fellow podcaster and a bit of a manhead because we've kind of broadly touched upon, I guess. The incredible philosophy of Michael Mann films, and specifically Miami Vice, a few times. But the person that we're speaking to today is actually an expert, for a change, <laughs> it feels like um, about that sort of thing. Instead of this sort of pseudo understanding of what we are, uh, what we've got, we've got an associate professor of philosophy from MIT, and the host of his own podcast about philosophy and movies, Cows in the Field, which I was lucky enough to be a part of talking another Michael Mann movie, Ali, um, one that I rarely get to talk about on podcasts. So thank you very much. It's Justin Kuh. Justin, thank you so much for being a part of the show.
2: Thanks for having me. Uh, big fan of the show and both of you. So I'm excited to be here. Oh, it's,
1: it's, that's very nice of you to say. Thank
3: um, you. That's so sweet. <laughs> so
1: I'm interested in like what movies and what filmmakers excite or interest you or ki- like consistently pique your curiosity as someone who is, you know, an expert in the field.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting to, we started doing this podcast to like, just talk about movies. And then I was like, well, I guess I'm a philosopher, so we should like do philosophy. <laughs> so then, you know, we would do things like in Minority Report, I would talk about, yes. talk about free will, or we would talk, really actually Minority Report, on that note, actually, it's not as much about free will as it's about what's sometimes called middle knowledge, which is this knowledge that God has, allegedly God has of what free creatures would have done in various Non-real circumstances. This is a slightly different uh, thing than I think it often is characterized as. Is like foreknowledge and freedom. Um, But uh, yeah, so we I would often do this. So we did Terminator Two, and we talked about like time travel and different models of the metaphysics of time and how time travel could be possible. How it's possible actually to change the future. Sorry, you could change the future, of course, but it's possible to change the past in various models of time, which seems. Uh, you know, can seem unintuitive in in a way. Um, and then, but we kind of, as we went on, we were like, yeah, we can talk about how these movies embody philosophical themes and, you know, can be used as insight into uh, certain philosophical ideas, or we can just sort of engage philosophically with the movie. And so yes. a lot of what we've been doing recently is like, I think what we did with you with Ali is just like, we take a movie like Ali, which... May not on the surface be a movie that is trying to do philosophy or anything like that, but just like engage with the text philosophically. So start to like think about like the nature of competition or the nature of like striving and struggle and and what you know how that's depicted on the in the film and um, what that sort of tells us about ourselves that we're attracted to watching this kind of thing to watching people be overcome that kind of adversity. Um, and so that's what the the podcast has been more about recently and uh, and you know uh i think with with miami vice there's a lot of really interesting uh you know te- textual themes going on here that that can be engaged with it's of course this is not a movie about time travel so we're not we're not <laughs> gonna do time travel but it's you know or the metaphysics of persons or something like that but it's it still has a lot of i think like really deep themes that are the sort of things that bring me back to the movie like make me want to come back and and watch it again and again so
3: what what are the themes?
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, no, it's a great question. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just
3: like I'm a dumbass, so I will be asking the dumb question. <laughs> no, I was I, I was I was literally going to say like let's, let's unpack some of the things. Let's, yeah. let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get yeah. into it.
1: Yeah, let's get yeah. Into I just it. started
3: like laughing at myself, being like, I feel like I'm a student. Like I just want to listen and be like, yeah. tell me yeah. what are yeah. the just themes? Tell me. Well, I want
2: to know what you guys think too, because you guys are way more versed in this movie. I'm sure you've seen it more than I have. I mean, my actually initial. Uh, experience with the movie was only a few years ago like I, I wasn't on my radar and I watched it on a lark I think it was on Netflix a few years ago and I was like let's just put this on I'd heard it was like people didn't like it so I was like okay let's let's see and at the end of the movie uh, my wife who who Blake you've met Laura who, who hosts Cows in the Field with me uh, she turned to me and was like like that was like a weird joke and i she or she was about to say that i guess and then i was like whoa that was amazing i was really <laughs> like i was really taken by that and she was she, and she had like the exact opposite reaction she was she thought it was like obviously you know she had all the usual critiques people have of the other movie it's, it's 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 confusing um it's melodramatic blah 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 and and um i was trying to figure out why it resonated with me and i think the the, the initial thing that brought me into it was that it's um it's incredibly relentless especially the theatrical cut i mean i think the yeah. director's cut is a little slower in places but the theatrical cut is just like non-stop and it's it's almost just like non-stop like musical montages almost like it's just like there's so much music there's so much energy and that like carried me through it but then you know coming back to it um we, we, we had to i was like we have to rewatch miami vice like, like it was like a month later and, and usually i don't do that and um, and so I forced my wife to rewatch it. And <laughs> I think she grew on her a little bit, but, um, but then, you know, the, um, the themes made themselves more apparent to me. So um, here's what I took from it, um, at least initially. So here's some thoughts to, to put out to you guys. So, um, you know, one is this theme of like loneliness and there's, there's a certain feeling that um, we all live in cities. So we all know that kind of particular urban feeling of like, feeling alone, but surrounded by people, um, it's a sort of, it's a weird feeling because it's not the same as being isolated. Like when you're when you're in the middle of nowhere, you're alone and it's kind of lonely, but like when you're around a whole bunch of people, but who are like in a way strangers, that's, that's like a different, there's a different feeling to that. But I think this takes it a step further because with Sonny, he's surrounded by friends and mm. in a way family, and yet he's deeply alone. Um, he's he's also in a city with like endless adventure, and he's got all these opportunities to meet people. I mean, in the very first scene, he's I meeting mean, on a bartender. Yeah. Like, yeah,
1: I was just gonna say it's a it's a smorgasbord. It's a feast. It's like beautiful women. Yep, you know, like alcohol, music, you know, sights, sounds, fashion, interesting people. But he's danger. still trying to connect with someone,
3: right? Yes. Like the pickup yeah. line. I was trying to learn something about yeah. her, you know? I mean.
0: Hey, darling. Two Bacardi mojitos in a gelatine.
3: Lemon or lime? Lime.
0: Where are you from?
3: That's in Portugal.
0: Did you got your tan in Miami? What's your name rita rita sunny see you later
3: and um, seems genuinely interested in a way
2: <laughs> i think he really is i mean he gives her a hundred dollar tip also which is like kind of like a that's like a little bit of at that point actually in the movie you're kind of you could you could be forgiven for thinking like this guy could just be a real skis you
3: know? like, that's a miami pd budget <laughs> by
2: the way oh is that right <laughs> my, i don't my. know
3: i'm just like where <laughs> else would he be like he's like writing a receipt like oh yeah, yeah um uh petty cash like 300 <laughs> <$300." laughs> whatever it's just funny i'm like what else where else would he get 300 dollars
1: tip it's just funny i I, yeah. I i love to think that he doesn't even own like uh, in the whole movie, you never see a place where he lives. Right. So I right, just imagine right. that he has so little connect- like in this stupid, like little thought experiments you do with yourself. You're like. He doesn't have a house. He doesn't. I bet you he doesn't have a car. That's not a company car. I bet you he has. I don't even know if he's got an electricity bill. I have no idea where he sleeps. Like, there's just no. He could probably sleep in his car in a car park at the, at the, or in the airplane hangar. You know, like yeah, I just Or or know.
2: like a he goes home with a different lady every night, right? So yes. he's like he just he just couch surfs or whatever. I can yeah, yeah.
1: totally
3: picture Sonny's apartment, oh. which is like has like a box for a coffee table, you know, a microwave, and maybe like it's like a bachelor apartment with like out without a really a real kitchen you know what i mean like it's like he hasn't moved in there's like basically like a a mattress on the floor
1: (laughs) it's you know rustin cole's apartment from true detective at matthew mcconaughey is like one of my favorite depictions of that because he's like pile of books mattress on the floor that's grubby so you know the sheets that are white are gonna eventually look like te- teeth plaque you know they're gonna look <laughs> disgusting and just that tiny weird mirror that he stares with his eyeball in on the wall like that's the kind of energy i feel yes. at crockett's house or apartment Same would have say big mood it's a big mood and they're yeah. both prescribing to it totally yeah and i
2: and he i think like that idea that like you know he's alone and he's looking for someone and Isabella's alone too right she's surrounded she has this huge like network of people that are at her beck and call she's like number two in in the Montoya crime family or whatever (laughs) like she's clearly like you know she's set aside when they first meet her you don't even she's in the scene but she's not in the shots right she's off to the side um you don't even see her uh until she pipes up uh to like sort of tell Euro what what's what or whatever um and and so i think you have these two characters who are like surrounded by people but they're alone and they're like looking for each other of course it's also like a tragedy this this film yeah. is like like shakespearean tragedy i think it's basically just romeo and juliet like it's these people who have come they're like looking for each other they find each other and then they can't be together and that's yeah. like Horribly tragic,
3: and like, like I'm an undercover cop, and you're the drug lord's wife. Yeah, oh my god.
2: <laughs> and so they're like, you know, and 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 throughout that triggers this this third theme that I that I really really like that really resonates with me, which is this like contemplative, reflective theme. So I feel like the movie, because the character is like, I've realized like, okay, we're in this situation, which is like we can't, I don't know, we can't be together or whatever, or or Rico realizes that, you know, the actions that they've done have gotten Trudy injured, you know, potentially fatally injured. They're, they reflect and they're like, did we make the right choices? Is this worth it? Was this, should we be have chosen this life at all? Like, why are we doing what we're doing? And so it's kind of in a way like a midlife movie because these characters are old enough to have that time, you know, they've had time to live and they can reflect. But they're not, you know, at the end of their lives. They have life ahead of them, so they're also reflecting about the future. You know, there there there's a certain longing that we see with Sonny where he's he's. I imagine him kind of wondering in his mind, like, "Am I ever going to find love?" Like, you know, after you've maybe you've had like a bunch of bad dates or something, and you're just like, "Maybe there's just no one out there for me." And I could just imagine when he's looking out. That's in the, called that's the called
1: twenty twenty one on Tinder for a girl who's a normal. That's person. called my current existence I, was, I didn't want to i didn't want to tar my co-host with a brush but like two of my very good friends maria lewis who's my like one of my best mates and katie uh, the, the, the 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 toil that they go through to find normal human beings justin is just oh my god i don't I want have, any you, part we of we it. haven't
3: even like talked about this but i'm sure you can just sense the energy i'm just going
1: are we, i'm like because
3: maria and i are so like symbiotic. Yeah, oh my god yeah oh my god <laughs> anyway oh my god. yes but but yes I will say big mood
2: <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's you know it's like you. he's this guy I mean okay so Colin Farrell was. I looked up he's 30 when this movie is, is made but I, I sort of feel like he's supposed to be playing a little bit older um, oh for he's, sure yeah he certainly comes across older I mean Colin
1: me. Farrell's living is like dog years you know what I mean like <laughs> yeah. the amount of life he lived every year to 30 yeah it's true outlandish He's 100, feel, I mean he's 121 in this movie. Yeah, like... yeah.
2: No, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but with a hundred more years to go. He's the Clint yeah. Eastwood of uh, yeah. you know of of, of undercover cops. <laughs> um but you know, so I just and then there's also this kind of like so that's like future reflect, you know, they're like thinking about the future and there's a the past, like regret potentially, like didn't yeah. make the right choice. And then there's this kind of like Reflection like at the like, I don't know, middle ground where you're reflecting on like your current situation. And here, what is he reflecting on? He's like, Well, Rico and Trudy have this amazing relationship. They and I I I kind of imagine almost the sex scenes and stuff, the like the the shower scenes and everything. It's like from I mean, this is gonna sound weird, but like from Sonny's perspective because you you know it's almost like he's like imagining like what their relationship is like and then he gets it with Isabella in um you know in Cuba and so and it's like they're almost like the same they have this very similar kind of they both have that like there's like a parallelism there so it's like he's like playing out what he's wanted um but he can't have it and that's I find this like that's it's just a gut punch it's so tragic it's so um and it's tragic at like a level that like, I just, you don't see in movies today. I mean, in a movie of this budget, the, just to like go all in on, yeah, and they're not gonna be together at the end because they can't, because that's what we've been telling you this whole time, is such a such a bold creative choice and such a real one. Um, so one that reflects, you know, something that many of us have experienced. And um, I think it's like deeply profound. It's, there's so, I don't know, there's so much, um, I don't know uh, ballsiness about it that uh i just it's like it makes me long for movies like this um so those are some of the anyway those are some of the things that it
3: really kind of- is amazing like i was thinking about this i guess this morning and i was thinking about man and and his adaptations and how this is a reboot of a tv show or, or i don't it's not really an adaptation but yeah he always is smuggling his themes and his auteurist outlook yeah. into James Fenimore Cooper Thomas Harris a biopic or a true true like the insider that's not true crime that's like I don't know whatever you would call that but um, yeah it's definitely
1: a dramatization and yeah cr- <laughs> yeah
3: um we, we just like don't corpor- call it true
1: crime because it's white collar. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, but it's like a based on a true story, corporate crime movie, you know, it's like all these, it's like not necessarily different genres, but it's like these different kinds of adaptations. And I mean, it is kind of amazing that Universal was like, yeah, like, like, they're, they're expecting fucking Stark, Starsky and Hutch. You know (laughs) what I mean? When they're like, (laughs) yeah, let Michael Mann (laughs) remake Miami Vice. They're like, great. Get some loud pants on colin farrell and sign some checks and then they're like oh wait it's like sad and tragic and it, yeah. it's about like the you know conflict between personal choice and like relentless entropy of the world and things moving forward and it's like that tension between can you choose this or can you not because you're already like off in this cycle or on this you know path that the two paths that diverge in the wood but yeah it's like yeah. they it just it's just really amazing that they like that this happened and every time we talk about this it's like yeah it's a complete miracle that this movie was made
1: I just I just love that like the actual director of Saski and Hutch is Todd Phillips from 2004 oh. so it's only two years earlier that they remade Starsky and Hutch with Ben Stiller and Owen and, Wilson Owen as, Wilson, the, as, as yeah. the leads right so yeah. and, and then <laughs>
0: Snoop Dogg
1: Yes, <laughs> really. So why that's so funny. Yeah, Snoop Dogg's in it. um But I was just gonna say, yeah, Snoop Dogg plays Huggy Bear Brown. Um, Snoop, what I think is hilarious is that they're like, you can see them going, "Oh yeah, it's gonna be loud. It's gonna be flamboyant. It might be a bit more like grounded in reality." but yeah, yeah. This is definitely the same energy. But it's gonna and, be like
3: a Will Smith video or something.
1: <laughs> and you just like, and you just wonder. At what point <laughs> did the worm turn? Like, at what point did the worm turn and they go, oh, no, this is just another Michael Mann movie. Like, <laughs> I mean, and for us, we're like, yes, another <laughs> Michael Mann movie, you know? Oh, man, that's so, so funny. I mean,
2: my guess is it turned two minutes into the movie. Oh, yeah, of course. Because uh, Yeah, I mean, because, you know, you're sitting I there see. and you're watching the numb encore scene and you're just like, I can't <laughs> understand what the fuck is going on right. here. And, like... And then 10 minutes later, you realize that whatever sting operation they were involved in, there's, we're never coming back to that. Yes. So all the mental energy you were devoting, trying to figure out who's who in the, it's right. you don't, It doesn't matter because it's, we're never coming back. It's like we're moved on. That was episode. That was a previous episode of my advice. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I just think like that, there's so many like anti-commercial moves that are being made here that, um, I just, I really love it. I love when movies just full on embrace that kind of like, you're going to come on board with me, not the other way around. I'm not going to cater to your, what you expect and what you want from me. You'll come to me. And, and then they, and, you know, oftentimes that can be alienating for people, but, but I think in this case, because it's directed by someone who has such a steady hand, who can bring you along, you you can just, you know, he, he he bends you to his will, and I mean Quentin Tarantino is another director like that who really loved I mean, he's he's explicitly said this where he wants to play the audience like a like an orchestra, right? He wants to like have know at each point in the movie what they're going to be feeling, and then sort of exploit that. Um, I mean, man is less cynical about it. Obviously, he's he's trying to do this for his own expression. But I feel like these great directors often have that idea of like it's like I guess it's kind of like the Steve Jobs mentality. It's like you don't know what you want, I will show you what you want.
1: Yeah, I and know I'm what, happy to. I, I, I know what you want. You don't yeah, have to know I what you don't. want. I'm going to tell you what you want. Yeah,
3: that's so comforting when you're watching a movie made by like a great master, and and that is and everything's clicking like that. I mean, yeah. that that's just like the best feeling.
2: Yeah. And, and then you have to submit to the director and that's the thing that I find. So uh, I don't know, so deeply compelling. And, and actually there's a, so speaking of the, that that's the scene with Alonzo Um, I think there's actually, there's two bits of foreshadowing there that are really interesting. So one is it raises the stakes. You're totally right. So like it makes it, we see that someone who's effectively trying to play both sides, Alonzo. So he's like a drug dealer or whatever, and he's working with the cops and whatever. So you try to play both sides. You could, you could lose out. And actually you see this both with him and uh, killing his family and all that, but you also see it with the Aryan Brotherhood who take in, it's like cross cut with them, with the sniper that like takes out the guy in the car. Um, So you immediately now know, okay, this is the danger of the world these guys live in. Like if you make one false move, you could, you could just get completely, you could get blown up. But the other thing that I thought was kind of cool about this, and I only noticed it this time is when they show uh, the photo of John, I don't remember John Hawks' character's name, but when they show his- Alonzo. Alonzo. <laughs> when Alonzo's <laughs> wife, the photo of his wife who's been captured, uh, you see around her neck, it's the same um, bomb device. It's the same thing that they put around Trudy. And it's so immediately foreshadowing that like, it's not just a danger to you, that you could be the one who who, who gets killed. But like your loved ones and that's what happens to Trudy and so I I think that like it just it, it's so it's brilliant filmmaking because it doesn't call attention to itself but and it's not something you would even catch the first time but the second time you realize that's what he was doing he was setting up all of these the stakes and what's what's you know what could happen and the dangers of this world um and foreshadowing what is really I mean sadly going to come so I thought that
1: right. was right.
3: Like brilliant. they become the Alonzo.
1: They become yeah. the Alonzo's, but also it's also a great trick too because you go, "Oh, Alonzo's wife is just a mum. She's just a normal person. It can't happen yeah. to our people, right?" Like there's that reinforcement of like, "Oh, Trudy's a badass. Like we've got badasses in our team. They're going to be fine. They, they know their trade craft. They can look after each other." So when Trudy does get nabbed, mm. you're like, "Oh no, they're just." It's like that. F- Further, like fear element comes over the uh, over you as you're a viewer. If you're invested, it's like, oh my god, even she's vulnerable to this. Yeah. And I think that that's the right. that's the one superiority of the director's cut. Like,
3: yes, I yeah. And then I was just gonna say, like, it if Sunny is watching, if he's the one who's sort of witnessing or, or or imagining whatever you want to imagine of the Tubbs and Trudy relationship, then he's also learning. Oh, wait, then if I'm in love with someone, then they can be vulnerable and I can they can be hurt and I can lose them and like, yep. it's not worth it. Or like it's like this is the, the risk, this is the danger, maybe it yep. is worth it but um, but that but he's watching that happen. And so it's it all ties into like, you know, part of why the the choice isn't even it's not even that they like make the choice it's like the choice is made for them
1: right that's that's exactly what I wanted I'm so glad you said that Kay because like one of the big reasons I wanted to talk to Justin on this show is like when I was studying Michael Mann and being like you know my most academic critical writing and study um, my my supervisor at the time was a professor at the University of Newcastle in Australia Hamish Ford great great film mind it was like he was like he introduced me to a philosopher called emmanuel kant um k-a-n-t not the other word that you thought i might have been saying because of my australian accent um, um but uh he did a he, he did a book called the critique of judgment which is extremely dense theoretical stuff so i don't imagine that anyone is necessarily going to read it but i'll try and synthesize it and justin will correct me because he's the expert go, i have it on the shelf here uh, <laughs> no no please you don't have to you don't have to get it here he goes. <laughs> is the, here, okay, it is. here it is. This is yeah, the there it is. Yeah, there it is. Oh, Christ, my gosh. shake of power and judgment, right? Yeah. So, so he got me into what, it, like, was this Emmanuel Kant's uh, concept of the sublime. And, he, and he's basically saying that the sublime in his concept, and I'll definitely please jump in, Justin, if I'm saying it wrong, but the way that I understood it always and, and interpreted it was, the sublime is this lure, this thing that is so attractive. And often they talk about it like in the nat- in the natural world of like the ocean, like the boundless ocean with no land around it has a sublime quality or like volcanoes because the power, the immensity, the unpredictability, it just dwarfs your humanity, right? And yeah. so that that thing that happens in Miami Vice, this scene we've talked about so many times, which is, you know, uh, Uh, Colin Farrell's Crockett staring out to the ocean and actually engaging with this sublime force. That is a hurricane above an ocean. It was always for me, it directly correlated with that exact thing of these guys are in this job and they're going to make decisions that they're compelled to make, like that take them to these situations that are going to dwarf them. They're going to potentially kill them because of the immense power of these sublime forces that are around them but they cannot help it. That's the thing that can sort of describes is that there's a lure. Like, you know, it's dangerous. You're like a moth to a flame. You're like, Oh, look, here's a volcano. It's so beautiful. Like, I think they joke about it in a bug's <laughs> life, right? It's beautiful. And then the bug gets zapped by the bug zapper. But that's like that moment is what I feel so much about Crockett. And so whenever I watch it, that's when we talk about the philosophy of Miami Vice, that's some, um, that's sublime philosophy that is sort of undercutting and underpinning that motivation for me has always been extremely strong because it is the difference between what is impulse and what is something that like you're maybe, I don't know, like unconsciously compelled to do. Um, And we've had a couple of convos and I, this is one Twitter convo because I want to bring this up. There's a great moment in heat, Katie, you'll know the moment when um, John Voight, Calls Neil McCauley, John Boyd's name Calls Neil McCauley and he says
0: It's me Plane's in the air now we ran right on time On the driver's end I still can't find nobody So that's in the trust One other thing You asked so I gotta tell you the guy you wanted checked into the hotel marquee under Jameson If you still give a shit Which I figured you wouldn't You figured right So so long brother you take it easy. You're home free. Take it easy. What is it? Nothing. I'm
1: free. And I talk about how Goddamn tragic and irresponsible, that is. He knows that Neil is not going to make the right choice and just escape on a plane that it is going to be a shadow exit out of LAX, go and live happily ever after with Edie. He knows he's going to take it to the edge. He knows he's going to go try and kill Wangro, and that's it. So when he says home free, it's that same thing of like, no, you've just given him the thing that is going to make him die. And it's so tragic. And I feel like that's happening in this movie in Miami Vice. It's that same thing of like these guys are gonna take it to the limit Crockett does not and, and Tubbs, um does not know they don't know what it's like to live a normal life they're always going to take it to the limit they're always gonna be like moths to the flame and then sometimes yeah. they're gonna flame out or the people around them are gonna get hurt
2: yeah I mean I, on the sublime so I'm not like a context expert so I have the book here but I'm 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 not I you know one of the things that you, when you study philosophy or whatever, and you study anything too long, you you start to realize how much you don't actually know about it, and then you get really sheepish about saying anything about it because you don't want to be corrected by your colleagues who are actually Kant scholars or whatever. So, you know um, more
3: than us. Oh, jeez! Yeah. But I, <laughs> yeah.
2: I also want to recommend that my colleagues listen to this. Oh. Um, <laughs> but um, okay, but,
3: none you know, of Justin's colleagues leave any comments. That's right. We're gonna get real mad. Yeah. This
1: is um, unless it's. Positive, unless it's a unless it's positive, positive yeah. hot
3: takes and validating.
2: But <laughs> 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 here's another way of thinking about the sublime. So in Kant, there's the, the, the notion of the sublime, as I understand it, is 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 like what you're saying, is this kind of overwhelming feeling of up. But it's it's also this kind of idea of like, and Kant is a the big theme in Kant of like being, um, sort of having a kind of dominion over nature. So so we have we have free will, and and this is this that's like a, a central starting point for Kant and. Um, and thus we have, we have sort of dominion where nature doesn't because nature is subject to causal forces. And so, um, and the sublime is in some sense, supposed to be some appreciation of like our separateness from nature at the same time as we're like part of it. Um, but you kind of see that, I mean, that, that's a theme that gets picked up in the existentialists, you know, like Sartre and, um, and, and Kierkegaard and so on. And these guys, but they, they sort of, this, this focus on absolute freedom, kind of as a two-sided coin for them because on the yes. one hand it's like amazing you're like great i can i could just like if i'm if i'm crockett i can run away with isabella it doesn't matter that i've chosen a life of prosecuting crime and she's chosen a life of crime we can we could just completely change our lives tomorrow that's the ultimate freedom that we have but the, the flip side of that coin shout out to heat flip side of that coin <laughs> is that um is that the um the freedom comes with a kind of overwhelming anxiety, right? It's it's the yeah. thing that um, they the summit's translated as angst or angst or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's this thought that like Sartre called it like he described it as like when you stare into the void and you realize that like you could literally do anything. You're not restricted in any way whatsoever. You could make any choice you want at any point. Um, and one of the like one of the questions that animated some of the existentialists thinking about this. In particular uh, Albert Camus is like, well, why don't I just kill myself then? Like what stops me from killing myself? <laughs> yeah. And, and you can't be like, well, I want to go on living. Cause you're like, well, you can just decide not to want to go on living. Like, uh, you know, you have total freedom. So you have to find some way to like commit to something, but because there's no thing that you can fall back on to be like, that's the reason why yeah. I won't do this thing. It It's sort of the act of committing is what anchors you or tethers you to um uh, to to reality or whatever to 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 uh to creating yourself ultimately and so the act of podcasting I, keeps me right tethered to this life <laughs> get in front of a mic and then blake is good blake just needs a mic in his face and he's that's, ready to uh, go so all i'm good That's, that's it. Uh, but yeah so i think i think you sort of see that i mean i mean man has talked about in interviews about the existentialist and i think there was one interview i saw with him where oh what movie was it I, it might have been thief where i think the interviewer was like this seems sort of i think i, I don't want to get this wrong but anyway they he kind of threw it back at them they were like i think this is like existentialism and he's like no 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 you got it all wrong it's this is actually like this other thing i can now i can't remember the the details of what he said but it was fascinating that he was versed in the existentialists and he knew what what how that interpretation on his film might go and he rejected it and he had a different interpretation so oh. you know he really did have i mean there's a kind of you man has read philosophy i'm i'm 100 percent certain of this and yeah um and you know i i'm not i don't think his films are explicitly philosophical but i think that that comes through in the fabric of the film and um i mean all this stuff about regret and choice is yeah. deeply i mean it's it it is very existentialist in the sense that it would be, comp- it would be the kind of thing that the like Sartre or the people you know who wrote existentialist literature in the in the 40s and 50s and 60s like they would have loved. I mean, this would have just fit right in with what uh, they were writing.
1: You could you could tell that it's like he's making. He's making these from like a more human and dramatic level, but you can totally see if you like, you take the, if you use it as a, as a case study or an example, like it fits all the boxes, but he's like, I'm not making an existentialist text like that prescribes to these conventions. I'm making, like, I think you pointed out, I'm making Romeo and Juliet. Like I'm making a Romeo and Juliet story, yeah. but it's in like in the context of South American drug cartels, <laughs> like, <laughs> a, a, and it just happens to have all of that existential angst that happens yeah. in these movies. And that I yeah. think that 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 um, engagement with existentialism is is exactly why he's like why he's still a new Hollywood filmmaker who's making movies in 2006, right? Like that's that's the that's that's why when you look at um, you know even Malik, let's just say like Malik and those guys yep. and De Palma and Scorsese and Coppola, like that, some of their films are more explicitly um, taken because that that's the time uh, the Vietnam war time and the Watergate time that like America is having their own existential crisis. But yep. whereas man is like making TV and, doing other things it's it's then when he actually gets an opportunity to tackle these texts himself in cinema like he's just he's still got that philosophy of everyone being engaged at that time you know i I think that that's what comes through most strongly for me i yeah.
3: think when i read philosophy i admittedly haven't read a ton of philosophy just like some stuff in film theory classes but just even listening to you talk about it, it's like oh like the thing that philosophy reminds me is like being a human is hard yeah. <laughs> and like yeah even though in our day-to-day lives like we realize that but it's like what why why is it hard why is it hard to be a human being but it philosophy sort of says like yeah like it it's challenging like you have to make decisions and you have to be with other people and you have to like just exist in time and i think like michael mann movies like also do that like they're like yeah it's angsty it's hard it's challenging (laughs) like the shit ain't for the faint-hearted just existing in the world.
1: And you're also going to contend, uh, like, you know, where where people might see a snapshot of a photo of the three of us, like, in this. But Justin's background <laughs> is, as opposed to watching the whole video, but Justin's background is from Thief. And, like, also contending with people whose philosophies about what life is are so different to you. Like, yeah. The, yep. the, the, the Thief speech from James' <laughs>
0: Frank, where he's like... Look, in what I do, there are sometimes pressures. What the hell do you think that I do? Come on, come on. Come on, every morning I walk in for five months, say hi. What the hell do you think that I do? You sell little fucking cars, that's what you do. I wear $150 slacks. I wear silk shirts. I wear $800 suits. I wear a gold watch. I wear a perfect D, flawless, three-carat ring. I change cars like other guys change their fucking shoes. I'm a thief. I've been in prison, all right? So what? I don't care. So what? Don't tell me. So what? I never even told my wife that. I don't Who care. is now gone? Did I ever come on to you? No. Well, you see? See? See what? See? I, I am a straight arrow. I am a true blue kind of a guy. I've been cool. I am now unmarried. So let's cut the mini moves and the bullshit and get on with this big romance. What?
1: It's like, wow, that person is living way less an uh, a life of artifice than some of us. Like there's no cordiality. There's none of this stuff that we have to like adhere to, like prescribe to like here are the here are the rules or what would be nice if we're going to be polite to one another in, you know, life. It's like, I'm a man, you're a woman. I'm attracted to you. I'm a thief. Let's go. Like that's yep. and I love like those sometimes it's really explicit but it's like he just likes to throw these people who live these different existences and have these completely right. different life philosophies sometimes right at each other. Like let's just throw yeah. them straight at each other and see what kind of chemistry I can I can create with these characters. Or yes. like
3: two people who are so different but like find their similarities. Like Yeah. Like heat kind of.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's oh, the, sure, yeah. that that that's just a collision course of two people who've almost taken the exact same philosophy and just done it from each each right. side of the coin. Yeah. Right? Like they're literally flip sides of the coin. We've just taken that same level of choice, commitment, dedication, you know, like myopia about a philosophy, a working philosophy, and then we're just gonna put them on the same train track and then just see who survives the collision at the end of this. <laughs> right. And, that, so, and, and that's the movie makes it literal with the trains. you know. Yes. <laughs> it's, like, it's trains and planes and travel. And like, we're going to just smash these things together and see what happens. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys brought up thief and heat because so these are all like
2: crime movies, but like, it is interesting how different Sonny and in some sense Rico are from Frank and, uh, in, in Thief and, um, and Pacino yep. and De Niro and Heat, yep. uh, because those characters by contrast, they, they, there's not really much of a, they don't question their lives. They're just like, yeah, as yeah. you said, uh, they're just like, I'm a thief. Like, this is what I do. Let's get on with the big romance. <laughs> and like, in <laughs> Heat, just like, let's the let's greatest pickup line of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, I thought the greatest pickup line was like I'm into metals.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your problem, lady? I'm like that <laughs> Lady, uh, but, what do you, you know, care about what I who I am or what I do? Yeah. <laughs> uh
2: but you know, so uh but but those characters, there's no question they don't know they do not question their who they are in life and what they uh, you know, wanna um you know what they want from life and who they and, and the kind of person they are and that kind of thing. And these characters by contrast are they're like really, really pensive and and concerned that maybe they've made the wrong choice and they want to change their lives and they and and they're they're sort of facing this uncertain future and and they're not you know moved to just continue the the lives that they've lived lived before and I think that's really a nice contrast um i mean franken thief is is such an extreme contrast because he's a guy who like when it turns out that like He might his life and Tuesday Weld's life might be in jeopardy. He literally like sends her away, burns down their house and then (laughs) kills that guy and then just runs off into the distance. Like he doesn't give a shit. Like he just throws everything away. He has exactly what Sonny wants and he just throws it all away. He doesn't care.
1: Um, yeah. And, and I also think that one person we haven't talked enough about at the moment is Rico, because you said in that yeah. shower scene. So in that shower scene, Sonny and Isabella are together and they're constantly in the embrace and Sonny kind of, while he's embracing her kind of ruins it with the, or makes it like a problematic scene because he then starts to like negotiate business while they're in this really private and beautiful intimate moment. That's the way that he kind of jeopardizes that relationship because he starts realizing like, oh shit, I'm actually playing a role here as well as this is really satisfying me. But even with Rico and Trudy, he's like, he has the, he wants to have these intimate moments and she wants the intimacy, but he wants to get out of the shower. Like, it's almost like he's, he doesn't quite want to accept, or at least outwardly accept that, he needs her as much as he does, or he, he values the relationship. He's, he's still keeping her at an arm's length. And so it's like, I love what you said earlier, Justin, I've been thinking about it the whole time since you said it of like, he's keeping her at an arm's length. He's pushing her back just a little bit. He's getting out of the shower early. He's pretending he's asleep. You know, he's, he's doing those things and trying to keep it cordial um, and, and, and keep the job right front of mind, just like Crockett is doing in a different way. But at the end of the day, he has to surrender to the fact that he at least yeah. has this connection and he does love her. But they're both doing that. They're both playing that. How do I put the job between me and my great love? Right.
2: Yeah. And that, of course, is a classic man theme. <laughs> <Yeah>. Of course. <laughs> yeah. and, I mean, um, you know, finding that relate you know that work life balance it, it, basically they should just show michael mann movies at like the work life balance seminar we, we always have these at MIT they're like oh do you want to come learn how to like balance your extreme responsibilities okay, and pr- job I, pressure I, with I, like i beg you justin
1: i beg you justin it's like guys i'm going to take the work life balance seminar this week oh yeah justin what are you planning we're doing a double face <laughs> Of FIFA and Miami Vice, and that's <laughs> what we're doing. That's that's work-life balance, and people can go away and like write us a you know an extended response. Let's just say only like five six hundred words on their appreciation or understanding of work-life balance based on the characters Frank and Sonny Crockett, and, uh, and, uh, and 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 they can also pair that with like a nice little mural they can create about work-life balance, and then we're good. Like that's a great little task. So that's a gift from me to you um and so yeah noted like, yeah, um noted um, we're but, but, but doing but that I, at the next one i think i think you have to do that yeah you're yeah. so right
3: but no it is funny to be like okay michael mann films are about work-life balance <laughs>
2: yeah i mean that's <laughs> but i they always are yeah i don't know <laughs> that's, what I, that's my pitch to people for michael mann films but yeah on the like get through this week so that's another you know classic philosophical uh tract the myth of sisyphus and if you go to mit's website it used to be the case i don't think they have it anymore they had a little gif of um the guy rolling the rock, Sisyphus rolling the rock. Yeah. Up the hill. <laughs> but actually, I think actually we we had masks made recently, and they have that guy rolling the rock on them. Oh, so, that's so good. Which 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 is which is nice, but also like. It's a little weird to give your graduate students like the Sisyphus myth on their so they can like look at it all the time when they're talking to each other. Like yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit like it's a little bit of a weird reminder that just like we're in this rat race forever.
1: But but it's but it's also kind of like I like that it's honest. It's like that's right. Well you're just gonna <laughs> just be pushing shit uphill for the rest of your life, guys. So just get used to it. This is what yep. it is. Right,
3: right.
2: Oh, um man. actually
1: that that brings me to the end of the film, actually, because I actually thought like
2: you know the ending i think is super tragic but at the same time there's something so that final shot you guys know all too well and mm. i actually hadn't clocked it as the final. i mean i just i've seen this movie only like maybe five times so i just this time i was like paying really close attention to what is the final shot the final shot is Sonny walking into the hospital he's so silhouetted but like the way he's walking into the hospital i find really fascinating so he's just basically learned he cannot be with the woman he loves and he also knows that like his partner's girlfriend or whatever who is also his his you know co coworker might die but he walks with purpose he is like striding in there he's not like head down dejected this is terrible my life sucks everything's bad He's sort of accepted his fate, I feel. He goes in there with like head held high. He's ready to go. He's ready to be with his friends and support his partner. I think there's a sort of like exemplariness. I don't even know if that's a word, but there's something exemplary about that. About he, although he's a really tragic dude, obviously he's got his flaws and his vices. He, he has this, sort of, I don't know, it's really redeeming that he can maintain that level of positivity uh, in spite of everything that he's gone through in this film and what he's looking down the barrel at, which is like, I imagine him to be coming up, coming up on 40. He's got no significant other. He's just, he's almost thrown his entire life away (laughs) and he's, but he's kind of pulled himself back. Uh, you know, he had like a huge, he basically just had went through a midlife crisis and he's still, I don't know. He still walks in there with purpose. And I find that, um, that's like a lesson for all of us, right? Even as we, yeah. you know, get beat down day to day and we're like, just got to get through this week, you know? Sonny's been really beat down. I can hold my head up high like Sunny.
3: <laughs> yeah. Man, do job good. That's Man, what I always say. Yeah. Man, like, do job good. <laughs> but, but also,
1: I think it's the, I'll never doubt you of it all. Like, that's the, mm-hmm. that's one of the best. It's like, Rico has been a pillar, like yep. so strong for him in yep. the chaos yeah. that is Sunny, And so- It's almost like it would feel disingenuous to their friendship and like not match how connected they are together if he didn't strut back in there with purpose to like be (laughs) right next to his boy, no matter what happens. Because his guy, like Rico, gives him the nod to go with her to do what he's got to do. And I feel like this movie's weird, beautiful ebbs and flows and balances is just that moment of like, we don't need, we've seen that Trudy's maybe regaining consciousness, which is amazing as the movie, you know, and, and he's just going in and he's got to be there for Rico and Trudy. And yep. it, regardless of what happens next, that's, that's how he's got to do it. So yeah, I, I love that final shot. I, I love clocking those things where you, cause, because you know, from, from a, a guy who I credit with the greatest final shot of all time, <laughs> is it this uh, one? No, it's not this one. No, oh. this is not the greatest. It's heat. It's, it's, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, uh, this is really, what I mean. I'm oh, doing yeah, the sorry. Cut. The hair, yeah, the, sorry. That's the, the that's hands. the great, that's the greatest yeah. shot of all time. That's,
0: uh-huh.
1: it's indisputable on any podcast I produce. <laughs> I will just, <laughs> even if I get a valid argument, I'll cut it out of the show. That's my, <laughs> I'm mad with power, right? As the editor. Um, but, but I, this shot kind of, it slips, it just slips past you. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I, feel, I love that you call attention. I love the moments that we haven't called attention to yet, Katie. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. So fun of this show right now is there's some moments that have slipped past us, and I think today we've been able to. Grab I know. A I'm so
3: glad them. we're we're touching down on this, and I, I'm also thinking about how thoughtfully filmmakers want to leave you feeling at the end. Like I think that's something that they really sort of uh, labor over. Is like. How do you want to feel and so you know we've been talking a lot about how this movie is a tragedy and it's a doomed romance and all of these things but he's not leaving us with sunny staring out the window or looking sad or dejected or whatever or even walking in a you know charlie brown way <laughs> like we're <laughs> like, like you know michael bluth or george michael bluth like yeah, yeah. um but you know, he wants to leave us feeling like there's still action, there's still motion, there's still purpose. There's still purpose that Sonny can fill as a friend and as a partner, and that he has um, something to do, you know, (laughs) like, or a mission, even if it's just standing at the foot of the bed or whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, I love that he leaves us with that feeling of forward momentum rather than being stuck or, or, or not knowing what to do. Like he knows what to do in this moment in time. And the, the thing to do is to walk back in and to be there.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think that the, this film, the stakes in this film are, I mean, obviously it's life and death, but it's, it's in a way. So they're so deeply personal. So the um, Sonny and Isabella's love basically jeopardizes everyone around them. Because, you know, so when they when they when sort of he comes back from Cuba, when Sonny comes back from Cuba, um, he's basically telling the FBI guy, Fuji, Fujita or whatever. He's saying, hey, you we, we got to go deep. We got to keep keep on these guys and we're going to go all the way. And Fujita's like, I'm getting out of here. And but he gets basically his he gets Rico and he gets Castillo to support him in that. And they're just staking their reputation and their careers and whatever on
1: Sonny. The, 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 the greatest Barry family line of all time is, looks back and goes, you motherfuckers better be right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's great. No, it's great, but it, it, it really shows you, like, these guys have put it out there for yeah. Sonny. They've put themselves out there for Sonny. And in that moment, if you're watching this for the first time, I mean, we know how it's going to go down, but, 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 but if you're watching for the first time, you don't know yeah, where he is, and I mean, Rico doesn't even know where he is in that moment. He asks him, like, "Do you know which way is up?" Right, like, or whatever. He asks him that, basically, and wants to know, like, "Are you are you ready for that?" You know, and you you've gone too deep, or whatever. And um, but he he sort of supports him on on you know unquestioningly, and you know that's like that is virtuous friendship right there. You know, that's like I disagree with you potentially because I don't even know what's going on in your head, but I'm gonna agree with you anyway.
1: I'm going yeah, to I'll, I'll back you, but I just need to ask the question. Yeah. I, I think it's like a much more crude, obviously it's much more poetically sort of devised and then, you know, articulated between both of them in the performances and in the script, but like, that's just like, I have to ask, but I'll never doubt you. Like right. if yeah. you just say, if you say, no, you're good. I won't doubt you. I go. need to yeah. ask you the question. Um, yeah. and I think that that's, yeah, that's a special moment. And like it's that hard. whole, that whole wind up is just so beautiful. It's like, you're making moves on Montoya's woman. We're making moves on each other. <laughs> like, yeah. just, like, yeah. It's the coolest line that deflects a massive problem. <laughs> like, yeah. well, It's like you're, you're, you're hooking up with the, exactly. I think Justin, you're the first person to say it like this. I think it's great. The number two in the Montoya crime family, uh, because she is literally the number two. And you're like, yeah, yeah, God, this whole international conspiracy. She's number two and he's, and he's shagging her in Cuba. Like this is a problem. <laughs>
2: I mean she also similarly stakes everything on Sonny because, because Montoya is like, you know, Euro doesn't like this guy. You know, and she proposes the thing that Sonny proposed to her, the the that they partner up and everything. And she she says, well, you know, she gives her argument, which is kind of feeble, but like she clearly wants to do this. And so everything, I just love how all of those stakes are set up. So it's so you know, it's like he's built this house of cards and we all know it's going to fall because this just can't be. Yeah. Um, But if the question is, how is it going to fall? Who's going to be left standing next to whom at the end of this? And it's great that even though Sonny and Isabella can't be together, that Sonny is still standing next to Rico because there's a, there's a real possibility, like he, Sonny in another scene right after this is basically floating the idea to Isabella that they just run off together. Right. He's just like, let's yeah. cat. You should just cash out and
1: you should cash course, out if- and I'll find you. I can't and jump I'll out just yet and I'll
2: find you. But like, if he does that, he would be, you know, he'd be turning. He'd be letting his partner down. Right. He'd be quitting and moving on and doing whatever. So I think it's great that there's this that real tension of like, which way are they going to go? And in particular, which way is Sonny going to go? You know, is he can he do this thing? Can he take this this leap? Um, And it just the stakes are so Hi, and i i feel like for me that's what brings me back to the movie is that i'm like at every point i'm i can you know i can almost watch it for the first time mm. thinking about this because i can just put myself back in the perspective of like i don't know what he's gonna do I, because i think actually in those moments the way i read the character is that he doesn't know what he's gonna do like he doesn't really know when he proposes that to to her i think he's I think he's. I mean, I don't know, Blake. You might have a different take on this. I think from what you said earlier, but I kind of feel like when he makes that proposal in Cuba, he's not sure whether he's like, maybe we can just get out and maybe we can just run away together, or, or if he's like, I'm gonna wheel, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of drawing her in with, on, on the, um, you know, on the reel.
1: Um. So well, the yeah the one I- one episode before this, and Katie and I are both in smiling, I think, because we know this is like, there's we spoke to the a, a really. Great great guest, Thomas Grabinski, who has a great show, um, movies at the uh movies at the bar, and uh a great podcast. And uh he just we we were all marveling at the fact that not only is the character unpredictable, but the fact that Colin Farrell is completely black out. I see. <laughs> yeah. like yeah. black out whatever on whatever substances <laughs> you want to call it, like blacked yeah. out for the duration of that movie that I actually do not recognize him as Colin Farrell in this movie. He is hmm. Sonny Crockett so utterly and completely and is so gone that you're like, there's no more Colin there. Like it's like that stupid right. Joaquin Phoenix pseudo documentary. Like I'm still here. Like it's like, he's gone. He's not there anymore. And, and so, yeah, I think that that unpredictability is just like, it's, it's fed by the fact that this guy who's delivering the lions is literally unpredictable in that moment. That's fascinating.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of gonna of say, I'm like, I don't think I he's so everything he's like minute to minute. He's like an ant kind of like yeah. I think he's just like what's in front of me. I'm making that decision. Like I don't know that he like ever knows what he's going to do, except what's in front of him at that moment. Yeah. Yes. Which is kind of like a great way to live. I guess like just like <laughs> so hyper present. Yeah. Like, wanna get a mojito in Cuba? Yes, I do. Like oh, shit, I got to go back. Okay, like, you know, he's just moment by moment. He's so present that he's not thinking about the consequences of things necessarily, or 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 maybe not not thinking about the consequences, but thinking about what comes next and what comes next.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. In that moment, he's sort of just chosen not to worry about it. I mean, he knows in some sense what yeah. will happen, but like, you're right that I think in that moment, he's just kind of blocked it. Like, we all do this. We just,
1: we don't think about... <laughs> want I want to, I want to you give know? you guys another theory you hear about these films that occasionally do the cra- what is ultimately a crazy decision and usually a luxury if you've got lots of money or you have a powerhouse director or an actor is sometimes you shoot a film chronologically mm. yeah just so rare like in 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 acting obviously on the stage you're you' you're practicing chronologically so you can help evolve the performance and just know how each scene influences the mood of the next scene and those things but in cinema it's just like chop it up what's the most convenient what location do we have etc and I think that's so hard filmmakers try and get into their actors' heads. All right. All right. In this scene, remember, it comes after the scene we shot three weeks ago and right. so much, and everyone else around them in this movie, everyone else around Colin Farrell is doing that. Where is my motivation right now? Because of the previous scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the one person is not doing it at any point in this movie. <laughs> Colin Farrell. He's not. There's, he's just not there. <laughs> it's sunny in the moment. Exactly. like. Yeah. The, the most hyper-present performance because it's like, yeah. all I can think of is what is in front of my face. Yes. Right Dude, do
2: you now. guys have a, do you guys have a favorite, just we're on the sunny kick. So do you guys have a favorite sunny line?
3: Oh. Uh... <laughs> I mean we have the ones that we like say all the time. Yeah. <laughs> which are like his horrible pickup lines. <laughs>
2: the pickup lines. Yeah, yeah. So here, here I'll give you one Will, if you're thinking about it. Yeah, right. yeah. So yeah. one of my favorite lines of his is is a one-word line. It's so okay, here's the scene. So it's when they meet Euro for the first time. Yeah. And Euro's like, how do you know? i I guess it's two words but how do you know i can that you guys can do this he's like questioning them he's like yeah who are you how do i and then and then (laughs) what's that
0: price is right but how i know if you want any good at this shit what's that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> he just said, what's that and like
3: he's so indignant he's so pissed off is that you. He, he's like you question my skill what's that that and scene where the three of them meet for mm. the first time is maybe my favorite scene in the movie maybe. there's that's so great- many great lines and my mommy and
1: daddy know me
0: let's <laughs> go that's let's yes. that line too that's, that's just, what another, another- just another right another
1: banger
3: I uh, just I like what does uh, and and uh, Jamie Foxx just has some real bangers in that in that line too. I think anytime Colin Farrell's talking about um loads. Yes, the bees yeah, the the I was like, what does he call the FBI? I'm like
1: You like spotted that beam. for me. I like went back and watched it after that episode. <laughs> where I was like, Fucking Katie smashed that out of the park. That was awesome. <laughs>
3: It's like, oh my God. No, there's so many good lines in that scene. I just love it. So and, much. Also, and obviously, we love our very special um John Ortiz killing oh, yes. it as
1: always. John Ortiz absolutely killing it. Like, loco. Do, yeah. Do, yeah. Like the great one after that is like, so you want to fuck my partner? Like, I just <laughs> like that. Everyone is completely feeling themselves in that scene. Like, they are just, everyone is just chef's kids' so, so much chef's fun the, oh my God. the
2: other the other part that I just noticed this time, so they've of course, there's the Jackson Pollock line about the wallpaper. yeah, and don't this I noticed it this time. Um, I maybe you guys have already noticed this, but so that's
3: actually a foreshadow.
2: Because he gets Jackson Pollock at the end, so Rico mm. shoots him with the shotgun, and he and the blood splatter goes on the whatever shipping container, and it's like a Jackson Pollock. It's like a splatter oh. painting.
3: So he does get him in that
2: in that very way.
3: Nice,
1: nice spot. Yeah, no, it, no it's it's no, it's it 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 is good because he eventually. He, but that whole description of him being a Jackson Pollock is so great too because you're like, yeah. oh is this just BS but the fact that he does turn him into that and he does splatter all over the place is beautiful yeah it's great bit yeah, of poetry it's good pickup and wonderful. we haven't talked about it so that's good I'm glad you I'm glad you brought it up oh my god. <laughs> Justin, this has been so much fun. I feel like we're about to go down a rabbit hole and just start repeating lines like, you know the, you know the Almond Brothers, you know the Almond Brothers, like, which is what we eventually do when it's time to wrap on this show. But look, thank yeah. you so much for being a part of Miami Nice with us. It's been really fun. And like, I feel like we were diligent philosophy uh, philosophy students at some point uh, along the way. So thank you so much for being a part of the show. Yes, and It's been, it's thank been great you. to chat to you.
3: I feel yes. smarter. Thank you for this. It was Thank super you for
1: fun
2: having me. I, I it was a blast. Thanks, guys.
3: Yeah.